Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining me. This is Richard Listens, and this is the Richard Listens Show. I'm grateful for all the wonderful contributions and guests we've been having lately. We have a action-packed hour of talk, questions, serious social issues, and a little bit of fun at the end. Uh, we don't like to go too heavy. I'm working on my lighter side. So, um, And the beauty of today is the power of connection that our guest today comes to us through introduction through multiple people who have worked with the show or work with me professionally. And I'm very excited about that, the fact that the people that we connect with are connecting us. And that's really um, exciting for me as I launch from crisis responder county guy to being here with all of you out in the public. Uh, we love the fact that you're coming forward, sharing your stories, sharing the way you cope with your passions, as well as the way you manage your stresses uh, during times of difficulty. So we're going to get into a little bit of all that today. Our guest today is uh, a friend. She's also apparently a wonderful uh, baker of challah bread, which I hope she'll share her <laughs> recipe later. Uh, she is uh, a filmmaker. She is a professor at USC in the Annenberg School of Communication. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm good so far. She's going to get me if I, if I stumble here. Um, and also has helped over 100 athletes in branding and helping them uh, in identifying and confront social issues. And without further ado, our guest today, let me introduce you, Miss Irit Yellen. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Yes. I'm very excited. It's been long overdue. And yes. uh, forgive us for scheduling our show on the same day as your class. Don't ever let it happen again. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had more back and forth about like, maybe we'll just go to USC to interview you, which sure. is an idea as well. We can do sure. That the they have it all set up there. It's a brand new uh, building with, you know, all of the high tech, 
highest technology that you could ever ask for. I know. I'm a little jealous. I've heard uh, that, that some other sports podcasts are being shot down there. Mm-hmm. And I know they have a phenomenal sports psychology department as well. USC, always uh, top of the line. We got to tour their training facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you get to see the the inspirational quotes on the wall and the uh, – um, hydro chambers for recovery from injury and oh, in the in the athletic um, right, yeah, athletic yeah. facility. It's very impressive. It's and it's hard to get into. You need like uh, like your your fingerprint to get in. And so I've I've had many a student uh, who, uh, who are athletes who are there who allow me to come in. But it's it's like very lockdown facility for sure. All the top secrets they want to on getting out. Yes. Um. So um, a quote that you share with the world is sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. It has the power to unite people in a way that little else does from Nelson Mandela. So that is really inspiring. Tell us a little bit about that, how you chose that and why that identifies the work you do. And then we're going to take a break uh, in a few minutes after this and and go to Caitlin with her fitness and wellness tip. And then we're going to get into some deeper stuff. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, first, again, thank you for having me on. It's always exciting to talk about all of these important issues, I think, as it relates to sports, our sport, uh, as, it, as it's called internationally. Um, I use that quote really uh, coming off of 18 years working uh, in the sports industry. And even before that, I was an athlete growing up. I was around sports. My dad was a head high school football coach when I was growing up. So I was on the football fields. Like like that that little girl in Remember the Titans. I wasn't calling plays, but, you know, I was that little girl like, you can't move me from the sidelines, you know. And so I was always around sports. And, and you know, when you're younger, obviously, you don't know what it teaches you about the larger things that life has to offer. But as you get older and, and University of Wisconsin, I was uh, a college and so I was a Big Ten Division One athlete, um, and learning uh, learning how to just coexist with others who I had not uh, who had not been with people like me, and 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 vice versa. And and then as my career went on, I knew I wanted to do something in sports, and so I started off interning for the Oakland Raiders when I was uh, out of uh, out of college, or, or uh, the semester before I graduated. I moved up to Alameda. And um, was there the first season that John Gruden was a coach, and so oh, that was wow. so fun in so many different ways. And they were they were in the uh, AFC Championship game that year for the first time in a long time. And so I was given a lot of opportunities to get in and get my hands real dirty there. And then I uh, came back down here to LA, and I worked with a family friend doing personal PR and entertainment for for actors at very very high levels. And I really felt like athletes would want that kind of representation as a publicist in a, in a professional way. And so after trying to get some PR firms to hire me as a 25-year-old kid with no clients, wondering why they weren't hiring me, a lot of family and friends encouraged me to just start my own company. So at 26, I started one of the first personal sports PR firms. And I had uh, um, my first client actually happened to be a wide receiver with the Raiders named Jerry Porter. And his agent was an agent who still is at the top of his game named Joel Siegel. And after Joel, you know, really tested me a lot, making sure that I was smart enough, I could stand up to the sports industry, especially as um, a young person. I say person. I, I never really felt like I was being tested because I was a woman. I felt that I was, be te- I, I was being tested because I was, I was young. Um, he started referring a lot of his clients to me. So I represented some very big 
both physically and in name, uh, football players, NFL players. Uh, so that's an interesting piece yeah. right there because, I mean, the ability to identify yourself on your own two feet is probably a big part of your identity. But, I mean, in football and, and mm-hmm. women entering into the, the sidelines is still remains kind of a uh, touchy subject, right? I mean, it, it's sure. changed. So for you to cross that barrier and have people come to you and trust you yeah, um, m- must not have been easy initially. You know, I never, I, I think I looked at it as it wasn't easy because I was creating a new position in the sports business world as a publicist. And so I never looked at it as being a woman. I think that because I grew up around seri- being a serious athlete, also because my dad never treated me that way and the other athletes, the male athletes that I was. So when you say that, did he like throw the the, dirty, <laughs> the pads at you or what? No, no, <laughs> he didn't throw the pads at me. He just treated me. you with respect. Treated uh, me with respect. Always made me work very hard. But also he made, he treated every, he treated and treats everybody with respect. But his athletes also treated me with respect. So as a little girl, you know, in the San Fernando Valley in the early 80s when Busing was starting or was on its way, and there was a very diverse group of, you know, big older boys. So we're talking about, you know, from the African-American communities, from the um, Latin Hispanic communities, from Armenian communities, from Asian communities. And here I was, this little girl, you know, this little Jewish girl from the valley. And, and all of these me- big men, boys, were my protectors. And so they gave me a lot of respect. And so that's so I gave them back that respect because they were they were literally and figuratively protecting me from being hurt. So and not until uh, the last handful of years did I realize that that's why I feel comfortable in that setting. And I don't think, you know, in the conversations that I had with my dad, he I don't know if he really realized what he was doing at that time. In terms of giving to you or providing for you safety? Right, especially around men and big men and men from all kinds of backgrounds. So that if I were to go into, you know, a situation where there are very potentially physically intimidating men around, there's never been a time that I've not been sure of myself. And as a matter of fact, sometimes I'm surprised with how much I can boss these guys around. (laughs) You're like, got away with that. I know. I can't believe I was able to tell him to do that. Um, so, um, but I think it's that, it's that confidence of, I, you know, I'm not going to be physically intimidated by you. I knew that I was always pretty smart, but you know, I always work on that as well. I don't go in thinking that I ever know more than someone else. And I think a combination of that strength and vulnerability, um, and transparency, you know, I think that even at a young age, um, a lot of those football players and top agents in that industry gave me a lot of respect then because they knew I was there for the right reason. They knew that I was smart. They knew that I was, you know, all of the things that you want somebody to be in business, you know, reliable, accountable, um, and admit when they're wrong. And, and so then I was able to go in and sign a lot of clients and, um, and then eventually build my firm. And then it was acquired by a large entertainment PR firm. So circling back around to your question, I was I was at that firm for a handful of years, built that and then realized um, something was missing for me, that I was really looking to make a larger impact. And I wasn't sure what that was going to be. And I knew about a large uh, global nonprofit because um, in sport in, in an area called sport for development and peace, um, that's really much more well known internationally called Right to Play. A lot of the Olympic athletes who I represented were really involved in that organization. So eventually, after I left that entertainment PR firm, after I left personal representation personal representation for um, athletes, I went to go 
consult and then eventually work for this organization, really, truly seeing the the difference that sports can make in some of the world's most existential issues, you know, health and disease, conflict resolution, gender inequality, um, seeing that internationally, seeing it in um, third world developing nations like Rwanda and Uganda on the ground, bringing a group of female athletes uh, after the London Olympics gold medalists to go see those programs on the ground, which was unbelievably powerful. Um, and in between hiking in the Rwandan forest and seeing gorillas, that was pretty cool. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then just, and then just looking at a lot of those kind of programs that exist here already in the United States, but there isn't that kind of label of sport for development and peace. And so, um, anyway, so circling back to that quote, the Nelson Mandela quote, I I've seen it and I've seen the, I've seen the people, the athletes in particular, who I'm the most inspired by. They live, that's a very Olympic kind of motto. Um, and that's, you know, as the world has become more and more global, um, that more athletes have brought that onto themselves. And so um, I see it, I, you know, I continue to see it all of the time. And it's not just pro athletes. It's it's programs right here in LA and and domestically. And so, and so I try to live that. Yeah. So you wow, out so much rich content, but I'm going to slow you down because you touched on several key themes and sure. I, I want to make sure we bring Caitlin in there. She's, she's, uh, waiting in the wings. So, Hi, but Caitlin. <laughs> I liked your, I liked your phone case, by the way, that was so cute and sparkly and glittery. I saw that. <laughs> but real quick before she, uh, gives her fitness wellness tip, the themes of, I mean, when we talk about building in sports psychology, a champion's mentality, you know, some of these themes of being about more than yourself, being aware of the struggle that somebody goes to just to like make it to their soccer field or that they don't even have like, you know, just to get a ball, you know, like what it takes to even be able to participate in sport. Um, what that does for the athlete and how that kind of helps them, which might lead into your, your tip today about how that helps them overcome burnout from these, these levels of training. Uh, Michael Phelps was recently quoted as talking about, you know, almost every athlete after they come out of the Olympics, might be clinically depressed. I mean, after the amount of effort that they put forward, and that's not something we talk about very often. So right. uh, the champion's uh, mentality, the power of realizing like that the game, that the game is bigger than you, that you're a part of something much larger uh, can really be uh, inspiring and motivating. Mm -hmm. And uh, as an athlete, which clearly you, you carry your work as, as an athlete, you bring yourself you know, you felt like you were on the team. You were part of that tribe. You've, you've mm -hmm. brought that forward to your own. I mean, Division One uh, rowing is not not for the faint of heart. And now to bring Olympic athletes into other cultures is just very inspiring. And for all you athletes out there that are listening, we really you know, hope you would uh, research some of uh, these causes or get a hold of uh, Arit. Maybe she can help you. Absolutely. And, and look into ways in which you can expand your awareness or your sense of connection to the sport. Maybe you haven't even had that chance if this has been a sport you've been playing to survive. So it can give you deeper meaning, um, a little bit more of the enjoyment and fun uh, and meaning around your sport and not just uh, the grind, which uh, you may already be all too familiar with. Without further ado, we've made her wait long enough. She's our fitness wellness expert. Give her applause again, please, Miss Caitlin Patricia Weiler. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. So I know Richard, you kind of mentioned the burnout um, factor, and I've I was an athlete my whole life. I started playing sports from the time I could walk, and apparently kickboxing as well. From your graphic today, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, but I think 
just sports in general really gives you a sense of belonging and being a part of a team either you know you're going to be kind of carrying the team if you have that kind of personality or you know you use the support of the team and I think you were right, Erit, um, when you said that, how you didn't really know what sports were teaching you kind of until you were a little bit later in life. And and right now I'm currently working on a new curriculum for my nutrition programming for clients to do in a live setting. And I've been kind of really going back and forth with how to have the right formula to work with people because what it's made me realize is when you go into the gym to say you're learning a new lift, for example, in powerlifting, you want to go over and lift 220 pounds. I'm not going to just tell someone one time how to do that, expect them to go over there and execute a perfect deadlift with one explanation. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to their nutrition, they just want that instant easy fix that if someone's going to tell them X, Y, Z one time, they're going to adapt this new skill or habit, but that's just not the case that we need to treat our nutrition just like we treat anything else, even like a sport because it's a learning curve. We're creating new habits and new change. And anything that you want to do well, we do repeatedly with practice. So with sports, we have practice. And so that's my tip for this week, that with nutrition, you also have to have practice and patience that it's not going to be an instantaneous change. And I mean, that comes to burnout too. When you push, push, push something to a point so you can't go anymore, there's going to be an end. And when that comes to diet, when people do that to the extreme, and it's not something they can maintain, they always revert back to where they started, which includes the weight gain that they were trying to get off in the first place. So I think it's finding that balance. And, and now just when you're looking at changing your nutrition to know that you need to kind of learn to adapt to a new skill and you need to have patience and time to do that. Yeah, that's so key, the patience, because I know it's like the default is you're burnt out. You want to go for ice cream, uh, <laughs> carbs, sugar, right? All the things we know, we know it, right? Um, uh, especially, I think, uh, Lenny uh, Kraselberg mentioned also there's a, an injury and you want to keep eating what you're eating when you're training. So what's a tip for a dumb jock like me? You know, if you want to <laughs> begin, how do you begin being paid? Where do you even begin a search adding, you know, one or two healthy things in? What's the best thing you would recommend? Well, when I speak with a client for the first time, I look at what they're currently doing and I find where is it the easiest place to make a minor change that's going to make a big difference. And I always start with my example of drinking coffee. If you're a coffee drinker in the morning and you're putting, say, two sugars and some milk in your coffee, if you times those calories times 365 days a year and you're not going to change that habit, you can equate that to you know X amount of pounds. So if it's an easy fix for you to go to black coffee or you transition to something like a natural stevia as a sweetener and use almond or coconut milk, that's a small change that will make a big difference in the long run. So if you can do it on your own, look for those little places in your diet or your lifestyle regimen where you can make a small change that will make a big difference. Amazing. There you have it. Getting out of burnout from making small changes. I wish I could have put quotes around what you just said. <laughs> right? Looking at the small areas where you can make a simple change because uh, right. sometimes it gets overwhelming. Like big impact <laughs> right how all of a sudden am i gonna learn how to prepare like uh healthier meals probably moving from frying to grilling um what about when you're traveling what do you do and when you fail to plan you plan to fail so i'm kind of always knowing my go-to's or you know even you know always reading the label is such a simple thing um, one new thing that i'm really into is just seltzer water it's just sometimes when you have a craving or if i want something sweet if i have like a seltzer water 
I feel a little bit more satisfied, I guess, but people may not know that many of the seltzer waters out there have a lot of sodium added to it. So if you're not paying attention to labels, you can get in this massive amount of sodium that you had no idea was in this product. So, you know, kind of just being aware of what you're putting in your body is so important because sometimes when you read those labels, you don't know that, you know, what you thought was one serving is four, you know, so that's another very easy trick to just to give yourself the knowledge of knowing what you're putting in your body. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I've been enjoying the little LaCroix waters. Makes me give up on craving for soda. Right. It's just a nice, refreshing treat now. It's getting warmer everywhere, you know, and it has, I love the polar seltzer waters. They, you know, have the flavor and there's no sodium. There's no added sugar. It's it's a guilt-free treat. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Okay. And Caitlin, you're going to, you're going to stay on the show and join us for a few questions later on. I understand. Absolutely. I'm here for the long run with you guys. All right. So once again, let's uh, thank our special tip from our fitness and wellness expert, Caitlin Patricia Weiler. She's going to stay in with us. So I'm surrounded by powerful female athletes and I'm starting to sweat. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm muscle through it. So back to our guest, Irit Yellen. She's doing amazing things. So, so many things. So you were mentioning you just came from uh, work with a charity this weekend. You want to tell us a little bit about it, I, uh, which inspired your pink sweater today? I did. I did. <laughs> um, I went to an event yesterday called the Pink Pump. Um, it's in its 10th year and um, a really amazing civil rights attorney named Ariva Martin uh, puts on this event to raise money for the network or the organization that she started called the Special Needs Network. Um, and it's mostly a, an all female event. We're all supposed to wear pink and, um, we hear about, you know, all sorts of inspirational stories of, of women who are working and men who are working in this area to help all across the spectrum of anything that children with special needs need. Um, and, uh, as we, you and I were talking, I lost my mom at the end of August so, uh, so thank you very much. So about nine months ago, and um, she was an educational therapist for 50 years, and she loved going to this event because she loved all bright, happy, sparkly things. But also, as Ariva reminded me, she also loved empowering other women, but really all together, she loved empowering everyone. And because so, special needs has seen a lot of progress over 50 years, I'm sure yes. what she saw when she got into this uh, field was, yes. was not so much progress in the system. Yes. And she was actually one of the pioneers um, in making sure that, you know, uh, that children advocated for themselves and that parents knew how to advocate for their children. And um, so she, you know, um, I carry a lot of her heart with me and her soul's work with me, especially the last 10 months. So so when I knew that, you know, I was I today, it's a little chilly in L.A. today. And and I saw this hot pink shirt and our sweater and I and it's my mom's actually. And so I said, I'm going to put that on because it feels nice and cozy. So, um, so yes, yeah. Yes, and you're bringing all that joy and all that passion into the studio here. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thanks. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. So you, you're, you're involved in several charities that are giving back um, and affecting the world in a lot of different ways. Um, so that leads us to so – so you have uh, an overlap with one of our former guests, uh, Mr. Lenny Kraselberg, and you are, I believe, either have made or are making a film about his his life. Mm-hmm. Um, is he the only one that you've made a film about? I mean, is this part of the work, the special needs work that drew you together? 
Um, well, with Lenny, we are in the process of it. We we did a lot of filming last summer, and we're we're in the process of uh, continuing to do that work. A lot of that now falls back on making. I'm the producer of it. And so that falls back on me to make sure that it continues to move on. But but after my work with Right to Play, I worked with Right to Play for about four years. While I was there, ESPN did one of their 30 for 30 films on the organization. And it was done by this really iconic filmmaker, na- filmmaker named uh, Frank Marshall, who's been around for about 40 years with, you know, small films like E.T. and Color Purple and, Indi- you know, the small. <laughs> yeah, those little ones. Yeah, yeah, the ones nobody's heard of. Um, and so when Right to Play came out on ESPN, it was really one of those situations where, like, the tree fell in the forest and nobody heard about it. And it was a very frustrating experience not having a film that could really help push forward the area of sport for development and peace, which what it, which is what the movement really needs. And um, at the same time, there's there's a studio here in L.A. that was started by the co-founder of eBay named his name is Jeff Skull, but the studio is called Participant Media. And they started with films like An Inconvenient Truth with documentaries. And then they went on to make 50 or 60 scripted films. And the idea is that they make films that start conversations around social issues. So they, they've done Fruitvale Station, Lincoln. They've went they did Spotlight. So really you know, they walk in and they partner, they walk into filmmaking and they partner with these organizations that can utilize um, the film as a tool to help them continue the conversation and educate. So I sort of thought, well, why couldn't that happen in sports? And and I tried to get everyone else to make this content. And uh, my mentoring professor at USC and then a friend who was a participant, he used to work for Nike, and then some guys who are at Frank Marshall's company called Kennedy Marshall, we were having this conversation and eventually one day I said, well, let's just all get together and we can figure this out. And then sort of collectively, they all looked at me and said, you need to do this. You have, you know, one, wow. one, you get people to do stuff Two, you know, the stories, you know how to tell them. And so, so I started that about four years ago and I started another company <laughs> and <laughs> it was kind of one of those like, ah, I didn't want to start, but I, you know, you sometimes you have to be open to what the universe is telling you you should do so this is an amazing concept right here not only that you've gone on to i mean just to have that whole uh (laughs) moment happen but that amidst creating change giving back teaching you get this opportunity and they go no you you take this on um Mm -hmm. now is there is there any hesitation there i mean this is like a key athletic moment is there like like does the what do you do with those doubts right there? How did you overcome that to say, no, this needs to get done? Well, I think going back to the athlete mentality, it's, you know, it's a, you know, it's a fear being an athlete, especially I think at a high level. And, you know, I never, I never reached, even though when I'm around a bunch of Olympians, I joke around and I say, you know, between the three of us, we have four gold medals. You know, <laughs> right, right. I, I bring the, the average down. Uh, that always makes me laugh. But um, but I think being, you know, here's the thing that for me, being around all of these professional athletes, being around the gold medalists and the NFL Hall of Famers and the Super Bowl winners, that they have achieved a certain level of excellence, which requires a very high level of mental toughness, whether they're aware of it or they're not aware of it. Um, and so almost by whether it's like osmosis or influence you, you know, if you spend enough time around all of these people, you have a fearlessness about you as well. And so, and I think it just, for me, it, it ignited what has always been inside of me, you know, that, um, that I do have a fearlessness. I definitely get very afraid, um, that I have my own personal board of advisors, like my own personal coaches who, you know, if I'm afraid about, I'm not, I can't do this. I can't do that. 
then I know who to call and I know who, and, and for me, you know, going back to this, you always have to be aware. Um, you always have to know that you can rely on yourself as well. That, um, my mom was a huge champion of me. And when I would be very scared on, and this is, this also happened my, when I started my first company when I was 26, where every day it was, I can't do this. I can't, you know, and she would be that like soft, you know, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Of course you can. My dad on the other side, um, he's like a Dr. Phil type of psychologist. So he's like, tough it out, you know, like just, you can do it. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash Richard Listens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash Richard Listens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports, all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. So and you had the balance, yeah. you got the compassion need over here. Yeah, and we would, you know, my brother and I would joke, we'd be like, put mom on or put dad, <laughs> like, no, I'm not getting what I need. Um, but really, at the end of the day, what you realize, obviously, as you get older, is that you can be all of those things for yourself, and that the people who you surround yourself with should just be reflections of who you see. And that really does go back to sports, because if you're on a team, or even if you're in an individual sport, um, the coaches you choose to be around. Yeah, the, the other athletes, the players. You know, even, you know, if you look at individual sport athletes like tennis players, like look how much respect they have for their, you know, for who they're competing against and um, that camaraderie. And, you know, they're sort of they're sort of studying those, you know, those those challengers. So um, so for me, going back to this sports, you know, the storytelling of it all. There's something in me that I get very excited when I go down a new path and start something that's never been started before. You know, that's why I started the sports PR firm. Um, and then I sort of try to piece things together and I, I try to go as prepared. Going back, I think, to my athlete mentality as well and being around all the top athletes where it is, you know, Kate, Caitlin, right? Caitlin just said, like, you know, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And so... You talk to any elite athlete and they will say the same thing. The athletes who come in to speak to my class and, and you know, drop all of this knowledge onto my students. That's something that's very similar as well. Um, so, again, going back back around. So Lenny is one story about the Soviet Jewish refugee process and really covers social issues like refugee and immigration issues, as well as discrimination like anti-Semitism and how you use sport and how you lean on that, not just as an individual, but as a family to help really assimilate and acclimate into your new settings. Um, and you see that now in Syrian refugees. You see that even in the work that I did at Right to Play, that we would go into refugee camps and we would see that sport really 
was, you know, one of those, one of those places where children can lean on to, to feel like everything's going to be okay. Yeah. You really got that uh, in the discussion, um, that when he mentioned like he had a choice to swim for, uh, Ukraine or was it for, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. and, Mm -hmm. and, And that decision to really choose the United States, even though it was going to be a longer journey Yeah, and what that meant. Yeah, uh, yeah. Was, it was a real claim of identity and facing that yeah. challenge, you know, the courage to face that challenge, which, which, which is what sport I think teaches us all. Um, but so now, uh, it's not, he's one of now 18 projects that I have, that I have now in development. And even I've been shocked where I started off a few of my, the things that are out there already, you know, a, a docu-series about with Vice Sports about the abuse of painkillers in the NFL that's on my website just for you to pull up if you need to. <laughs> um, a great short film about women's soccer and gender inequality called An Equal Playing Field. I've been sending that to all my uh, female oh, uh, soccer playing friends, but I guess it's relevant to any fan yeah. of sport. Uh, so and thank I was, you. Sure, of course. And I was able to do that with participant media. You know, that's like they're part of my inspiration to do the work that I'm doing. Um, and so now it's really turned into scripted and unscripted. There's a, an amazing project that I, I have the privilege to work on um, that really a lot of these kind of just drop in my lap very, you know, but you have to be open to it. It's about a police community outreach initiative in Watts uh, using Pop Warner football um, uh, called the Watts Bears. And so, you know, I had uh, heard about them, w- was going to write an article for ESPN about them and then they turned to me and they asked me if I would be open to producing something a documentary a docu-series on them that they they saw that I understood what they were trying to do when other producers had approached them and they had turned them down because there wasn't that trust wow so that and and so I, this is also a statement to building yourself building credibility out there and a lot of the yeah. uh the, the studying I've been doing on, on branding and uh, things like that and really building that trust that people could come to you with things that maybe uh, were sensitive mm-hmm. or maybe controversial mm-hmm. or that, you know, if not handled appropriately, mm-hmm. um, would not convey exactly what the meaning of that sport is to that community. Right. And also, you know, these guys, these four officers in the program know that um, one, you know, I'm not going to screw with the LAPD. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not. Rule number look, one. <laughs> look, I, I, I'm fearless, but not that fearless. Um, so they know Goes that. Goes back I'm, to respect. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so they know that I'm going to protect them fiercely. Um, and I think I'd like to think that that's the way that the majority of the subjects that I'm telling. All of the, all of the stories are all about people's real lives. A lot of them posthumously. Um, and so I'm dealing with families who are telling stories about someone who has passed away and, and just obviously recently I, that's personal for me. And so when they have trusted me with their father's story, um, on in multiple projects, there's a a midnight basketball project. Yes. One of our listeners just was asking about that. Oh, great. Yes. Yes. I just wanted to. to know about that. Yes. So that's being developed into, um, a, a larger full-length feature documentary, and that family has trusted me to find the right partners to try to tell that the right way for the last three years. And we've kind of, you know, it is a sort of, it's been like a Goldilocks situation of, is this the right, you know, producing partner? Is this the right producing partner? And so, um, you know, I am keeping fingers crossed, especially 
you know, with some recent announcements, particularly today of uh, the Obamas doing positive, influential uh, content that, you know, a lot of networks and studios are going to start to look towards that type type of content as something that's real and take it seriously. That They they have a network or they're just out there championing? Uh, The Obamas announced earlier today that they um, are starting a production company and all of their content will be with with Netflix um, over a handful of years. And it's just to tell positive, inspirational stories. And so there's already been a lot of buzz amongst the small community of us who, you know, are fighting to try to tell positive content, not just in the sports space of um, this is going to this is gigantic that Ted Sarandos at, at Netflix, you know, who. Um, has fought to tell positive, inspirational content, sign this with the Obamas, which is pretty unbelievable. So it'll be exciting to see what happens. So you're looking right now for some partner on the New Orleans side? Well, so the Midnight Basketball story is actually not just New Orleans. It was a program that was started in the late 1980s outside of Washington, D.C. by a man named um, G. Van Standifer. And he had been retired, and he saw that the crime rates were rising um, in the nighttime when a lot of uh, the kids in his neighborhood particularly... Nowhere um, to go. Right. And so he asked for the gyms to be opened up, and they, and then the crime rate started to decline. And it was in a, in a black neighborhood. Um, and then he realized that if he, you know, sort of had the, the, the kids who were there, the young men who were there, um, that playing basketball, that he can then start, start to introduce other important life-enhancing lessons to these to these boys. Um, and so he started to grow this program, and it became so successful that it was actually one of George Bush's, the original one, one of his thousand points of light. And um, and then it, it's, it actually reached out to many cities across the United States, and it uh, was were programs for somewhere between 50 to 100,000 young men that um, across the United States and, wow. and eventually... Uh, the 1994 crime bill um, had the original version of it had midnight basketball in there to be federally funded. And something happened where it was also connected to some anti-gun legislation. And so the NRA kind of came in, grab, uh, grabbed a hold of it, um, created a large slandering campaign against the midnight basketball program so that it would also kill this part of that bill because it was connected to the anti-gun legislation. And over in the summer of 1994, over a period of 90 days, the whole program was shut down. Mm. And so and there are now these programs that are now popping up here and there. And um, a lot of those midnight basketball programs that are existing now, like the one I was able to grab in New Orleans, um, they don't know the history of it. But these these men who we interviewed for uh, and I'm working with a brilliant filmmaker on that as well. His name is Cliff Charles, and he's a Spike Lee filmmaker who also um you know, sees the type of content I want to tell and tell it in that kind of way that um, he and I were sitting there filming three summers ago. And these men were saying, it's great that this program is back. It's back. It's back. And we were thinking, what do you mean back? Like what's going on? And so, you know, I get very geeky about these things. And so I started to do a lot of research and then it just opened up this huge backstory um, and that was three years ago. And then as a producer, you, you, you know, try to find the story and then, you try to, you know, talk to the people whose story it's about. And um, so over a long period of time, you know, creating the relationships with the family, they, are, you know, trust me right now enough to go and try to make it the right way. That's incredible. I mean, it sounds like perfect timing based on all the things we have going on with school violence uh, increasing. The, the, yeah. the antidote would be 
or could be sports could be basketball yeah you know? absolutely absolutely and it's and really what these that these programs um are doing whether it's the Watts Bears whether it's midnight basketball whether you're talking about you know what i covered in an equal playing field the umbrella is really sport for development and peace and what i experienced at right to play and um yeah and i'm glad you bring that up cuz i'm surrounded by a lot of uh uh, youth sports and I get to see some of the good stuff and also some of the bad stuff, the mm-hmm. pressures of parents, the pressure on the next level on results orientation only. Mm-hmm. And for me growing up, it was the rec center. Like when people ask me, what did you do over your breaks? And the rec center bordered on, um, you know, the poor side of town and, and, you know, anybody could come if they had their their rec card, which was probably, I think, $3 a year. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somewhere in there, if you lost it, you had to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Or beg Mr. Mr. B, I think his name is, <laughs> to get in. But we would go in. They'd close it for lunch. You know, we'd go eat at one of four pizzerias on the adjoining corners in New York because mm-hmm. that's, you know, bagels and pizzas is pretty much what we lived on. And then you were back in playing. And mm-hmm. it was like exactly the same equalizer you're talking about in the San Fernando Valley of like, you know, kids are from everywhere. And you don't know how much, you know, money they have or, you know, it's just next game. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, as you know, as a psychologist, it doesn't just – sorry about that. As you know, as a psychologist, I mean, there's the the chemical – the physical chemical effect that physical activity provides that then leads to how you feel mentally and, you know, going through – again, as I, I, you know, let you know – you know, in addition to my mom passing away after a very long battle with cancer and it being a very difficult situation for many, many, for a handful of years and months, um, we experienced a number of family tragedies and traumas during that time as well. And it was, um, it, it was very difficult, but I leaned very, very, very heavily on my physical activity, you know, hiking the hills and, um, getting on the elliptical. And, and then I had, you know, as, um, Caitlin, as you were talking about, is she still there? She's not still there. Um, but leaning on all of these tools that you have to build for yourself and that, you know, goes back to being an athlete. It goes back to, you know, you need to cross train. You can't just train in one direction. If you're constantly walking forward, you know, you're not working on or constantly moving forward, whether it's, you know, elliptical or hiking or not, you know, then you're overworking those muscles that are, um, that are, you know, those hip muscles. I, I'm not, I wasn't, I was, I did kinesiology for two years and then I couldn't, but you know, I do a lot of times doing sidestep work because I need to work on those muscles, um, that I don't work on while doing the elliptical or, you know, that's incredibly analogous. That's a word, right? Um, that's incredibly analogous to your own mental health. You know, you can't just, and that's my experience when I was, you know, doing personal PR and growing that business. I just was trying to grow that business and I wasn't doing all of the other things to, I, you know, I wasn't just, I wasn't cooking. I wasn't traveling. I wasn't doing my own philanthropy. I wasn't being physically active. Um, and so you build out all of those muscles so that it, you know, makes the core of, of who you are stronger. So but you touched on many things right there, sure. and, uh, you know, to go through a loss, let alone multiple things hitting you at the same time. Uh, unfortunately, you know, this is, this is a common issue, um, for, for a lot of working professionals and to be out there in so many ways as you are, how did you intuitively attend to your mental health 
amidst all that? Like, was there a, t- a time of like slow the projects down? Was there a point where it was like difficult to know what muscle you need to work on next, so to speak? I mean, yeah. H- how have you drawn upon the resources of your, your community to support you? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing is, um, you know, starting 10 years ago when I was going through this burnout, um, I saw a great therapist who really taught me to pull way back and to do things that were really, you know, you'll know this term self-loving and that had nothing to do with what I was doing for work. And so I started to build a lot of those tools in. Um, and I lean, you know, I think about how I, I think I've been okay getting through the last 10 months and in particular, you know, the handful of months before that. Um, and, and lucky for me when back then I knew I couldn't work at that pace, that it wasn't healthy for me. I was very unhealthy back then also. Um, and so, um, so I sort of had those tools in place when my mom first got sick in 2013, it was a very stressful time. And I just also was starting this new production company and, um, we were, you know, a year or so later we were filming and I just was feeling incredibly stressed out, honestly. And so, and I'd always played around with trying to meditate and I thought, okay, if not, I'm not now. When? No, no. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I, you know, I'd seen the therapist, I know he's there, but the, the, the purpose of that was to try to lean on yourself where you can and your community around you, your friends or the things that make you happy that you have control over because your friends aren't always there you, and your, your therapist isn't always right there. Um, and so, um, so I started meditating and it helped me quite a bit and I kind of put that to the side and, um, and then my mom got better and then things seemed to be smooth and then her cancer came back and then things with, it was right around the time also that the, my production company was getting bigger and bigger and growing more and more. And we were, you know, moving, um, also in a really pretty large, amazing direction with Lenny's film too. And, um, so what's one tip for people who say, I have trouble meditating. I have trouble not focusing on the grief or mm-hmm. getting busy with work. Like what's one thing that you found has helped you? So I use the app Headspace. I use it. I'm I'm now I think 170 days straight or something wow. like that on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um that, I use a similar one actually. I yeah. use the insight timer and it's great. And you can as yours you can see where everyone in the world is meditating with you. I think there's something in there, but with Headspace, um, one, it keeps me on track. It's guided meditation. They have packs, you know, they have, they, they do a 10 minute, you know, 10 minute, 10 days. And, and then you start to, you know, um, going and focusing on my health really 10 years ago, I started doing triathlons and, um, it got much healthier, lost a lot of weight, um, was very focused on my, my nutrition and so then you, you're, you're paying attention to, oh, if I, if I meditate 20 minutes instead of 10 minutes and earlier in the day, I'm sleeping better. My anxiety is less. And so you're a little bit more self-aware when you're paying better attention to yourself. I like, I like how you treat this like an athlete, like they've got 170 days straight, yeah. keeping a log. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's, it's the regimen. It's the, I've always journaled. I've been a journaler since I was in high school. So that's been a huge tool that I relied on. Um, and then just being very open and honest, you know, about grief that, you know, we don't we're not always very comfortable in this society talking about loss and grief. Um, and a lot of people did not know a lot of my friends I'm, uh, didn't know what to say to me or and there have been very close friends to help me through. But at the end of the day, I knew I needed to do the work. And so this was also a place where 
I knew I was going to lose my mom. I, I knew that grief could take over. I've seen it happen in other people's lives. And, and, um, I knew that if you didn't handle grief well, that it would, it would make sure you knew who was boss. And so, um, I knew that I wanted to be very deliberate about the first year. And, um, I didn't, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, but by the time the fourth person in my life mentioned, um, a really amazing organization called Our House and, and their grief groups that they run and peer led grief groups, I thought, okay, this is again the universe telling me I should check this out. Um, and it's turned out to be tremendous. You know, the same therapist that I went to, I did go back to him after my mom passed and after we had had these multiple family tragedies, even in addition to that. And I sat there and I was like, oh, God, he's not working for me anymore. Right. And it's not the like, same when you have a group of people who can understand. Yeah, yeah. And I'd never done that work before. And, and you have to surrender. You have to say, as an athlete also, you know, you surrender to your training regimen. You surrender to, you know, like, I want to do these, four, you know, I'm going to do these four reps of 15 um, every single day, you know, for five weeks, whatever it might be, or five days a week. Um, but you know, your, your goal is to, you know, cut weight or cut size or whatever it might be or, or perform better. And so that is something I don't think that has been, or maybe it's just starting to be properly addressed as, as how you deal with mental health as well, that it's a process that you have to embrace and surrender to that process of mental health. I think it comes back to nutrition and sports that everything is kind of, they all mirror each other a little bit mm -hmm. where support system is so important in taking the time to go through and to feel and to process change in general. Any change is difficult, whether it's yeah. good change or bad change, right? Absolutely. And my nutrition and leaning very hard on my nutrition during this really tough time when, you know, you feel like everything in your life is out of control, leaning on the things that you have control over. You mostly, hopefully, God willing, you have control over what goes into your mouth. And right. so if you're able to put things in your body that actually make you feel better and people make fun of me, you know, my dad loves uh, as I'm like trying to shove kale down his throat. He's probably laughing right now. He loves to tell the joke of, you know, coconut oil goes well with kale because it slides right off the table, you know, into the trash. But but if, you know, I'm at his house a week later and he's got a big old bag of kale. So, right. <laughs> um, you know, so everybody in my family has given me a hard time about all of the nutrition, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's my core. It's part of my core. Um, and so when I, you know, I do silly geeky things like to make myself feel like I'm doing the best I can to feed my body and, and my soul. And I, you know, silly things like make my own nut milk at home, um, you know, instead of buying at store-bought cause then I know, but like, it's the process of it and it's the, it's that I know one of the main um, one of your main kind of challenges. Yeah. And when it comes to your nutrition, what sure. is what are your biggest challenges? It's sweets. Is it sure. you know, eating late or, you know, how do you have well, to let's, keep let's keep it to a short answer so I can we can get you to the, the next segment. Yes, which yes. Our guests are waiting for. Absolutely. So I love me some dessert. I mean, I will go all in on some great chocolate dessert. So I don't deprive myself of that. So I, you know, I don't drink. Um, I'll eat a very light, you know, meal and then I'll go in on some like decadent chocolate dessert. And I, I have to, to go too, because you have to be yeah. all in or you don't go in at all. Right. Because then yeah. you're just going to binge later on. So yeah. I agree with that. if you want to enjoy that dessert, enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I want to hear more about 
desserts. I think there's also some <laughs> crepes in your interest, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yes. you, you posted some amazing. Like good luck charms. <laughs> Check out Arit's uh, yes. social media for yes. for crepes. But okay, real quick, <laughs> we're gonna have to wrap up soon. But we got a fun segment we've been playing around with, so we're gonna um, mix in some fun here, and we're gonna have one minute. We're gonna do rapid fire. So you have uh, one minute, ten questions. <laughs> Let's see where they go. Um, Caitlin, you want to ask the first two? Sure. Go. All right. What was the one commonality between many of the athletes that you worked with over the years that was a challenge for them? Oh gosh, um, that was a challenge for them. The too, commonality. Too too broad. Pass. Favorite well, be, color. Being too proud. <laughs> being too proud, probably, and not not oh, not asking for help. Okay. Good answer. Favorite color? Blue, I think. Funniest sports term? Oh, is boondoggle a term, a sports term? <laughs> I'm not sure. I think it's social. Favorite sports movie? Um, favorite sports movie, probably Remember the Titans. Least favorite sport? Least favorite sport? Ooh, anything in esports, I don't understand. <laughs> That's a whole other show. Last movie you watched? Um, I, I think it was... Uh, Miss Sloan with Jessica Chastain. Okay. Rainy days or sunny days? Oh, sunny days. If you could Beach be. Oh, go ahead. Wait, what's that? one more time. Beach or mountains? Mountains on the beach. Wow. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay. Favorite street in LA? Orna Drive. Funny health food. Funny health food. Ooh. T- turmeric? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, funniest dad quote. Funniest dad quote. Um. You probably just tweak something when we would get hurt. <laughs> okay. And favorite item to bake? To bake, probably challah, because it was my great-grandfather's recipe. Wow. Yeah. And it won a New York City Best Challah Contest in 1962. Oh, my gosh. I'm placing orders. Okay. Last one. Caitlin. Um, favorite place outside of the United States you've visited? Oh, it's up there. Jamaica is up there, but Israel. Israel. Love it. Amazing, amazing. Okay, thank you for playing uh, Rapid Fire, Arif. That was tough, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Well, you handled that pretty well. You Thanks. melded both answers. That's a creative uh, strategy. Yes, it never has to be either or. Sometimes you... you, you uh... Yeah, you need a little bit of both. It's the balance, right? Yes, yes. And also, you know, it's Miles Davis. I won't use profanity. We can't curse on here, right? Is that what we covered by the FCC? But, um, I don't know. Jarvis, what do you say? No, I won't. I, 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 I'm going to take the high road. But, you know, Miles Davis, don't play what's there, play what's not there. Uh-huh. And then he uses some expletives afterwards. But, you know, don't, don't, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we're having fun, but we've gotten the, the two-minute <laughs> warning here, folks. So, uh, real quick, uh, we have been, this has been just an honor and a pleasure. And Same. I want to, to be blitzed uh, with information from you both on cooking something healthy and preparing for a triathlon Absolutely. so i'm going to be pestering you sure. in the future uh we are just so lucky to hear about your projects thank we you. hope to help you promote them thank and you. uh the work you're doing in social change through sports thank you thank you for being here please let our guests know how to stay in touch with you and how to reach you sure so the good thing for all of you is that i'm the only e-reet yellen on the planet uh, so I'm highly Googleable. Um, my website is ereetyellen.com. You can tweet at me. You can follow me on Instagram, which is just ereetyellen. Um, you, my email is on my website. But just thank you so much for having me on and la- allowing me to talk about so much. 
Um, and to you, you know, thank you for continuing on with the show. Caitlin, thank you so much. Thank you so much for our genius behind the scenes, pulling up all the photos last minute. So thank you. We hope that you will keep us posted on projects. We'd love it when our guests come back, update us, even if for a segment or who knows, maybe we'll go out to be with you. We didn't get to talk about it, but, uh, you know, on the field with Todd, uh, Helton, coach of uh, USC. Oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, we, we just, you know, yeah, we'd love to see our people and be out there in the world and share what they're doing. And it's an honor. Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. Please, if you can, check out my Patreon page.com, patreon.com slash Richard Listens or Instagram, Richard Listens. Uh, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. If you're interested in therapy, teletherapy, any kind of consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me through my website, richardlistens.com. I'm happy to help and support in any way through any kind of strain, support, or isolation you are going through. We are here to alleviate strain and suffering. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.